Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Oh, praise the Lord. Good to see each of you here today as we start a seven-day corporate fast here at Dwelling Place, and I want to read two scriptures up front, both from the book of Job, the book of Job. The first is Job chapter 10, verse 4. It's a great scripture to memorize, short, that always helps. Say, I I can always get on board when the pastor says it's a great verse to memorize and it's short. Say, yeah, that sounds like a great verse to me. Job 10 and 4, do you, the you here is Job speaking to God, about God. Do you, God, have eyes of flesh? Or do you see as man sees? Then Job 23 and 12 I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth. You ready? More than my necessary food. I want to preach a message today titled, The Eyes of Fasting. The Eyes of Fasting. Let me pray. Father, it's in and through and only because of Jesus we can approach you, draw near to you, be made right with you. But because of Jesus, you say, come now boldly. So Lord, we come and we ask, as your word says, for grace, for your ability, for your power, for your working for your mercy in our lives in this congregation. Lord, I ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would truly enlighten the eyes of hearts today by your precious Holy Spirit. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally, when we kick off a fast, we get in at times to practical things about fasting, that's not what's going to happen today. So Pastor Craig helped you some earlier mentioning some practical things when it comes to fasting. If you want a brief overview of some practical things of fasting, you can go to the section in our book, Divine Design for Discipleship, and read that about fasting. It will give you understanding of the types of fast in Scripture and Um, some practical things about fasting. But today I want to take a different route than looking at just practical things when it comes to fasting. Notice our verses came out of the book of Job. The book of Job is one of my favorite books. It is a wisdom book of scriptures. Uh, It's often so misunderstood But I find it so amazing. I find the depth of wisdom that God's provided in the book of Job astounding. 
If you're not familiar with it, the first thing that I want to highlight from the book today is the hedge. Someone say the hedge. Job, and I'm not talking about UGA hedge, hedges. Job had the hedge of God around him. In fact, Job 1.10 says, Have you not made a hedge around him? This is Satan, the adversary, telling God, Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Notice the hedge of God here, according to the text, equaled God blessing the work of his hands. And a result was his possessions increased. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds better than any hedge fund to me. Is having the hedge of God, the hand of God's favor upon your work, upon your family, upon your business, upon your possessions. See, the hedge around Job was the hand of God's favor. But the story in the text tells us of what takes place. Job had the hedge of God, but then he got hedged in. Job had the hedge of God around him, but then he gets hedged in. Job went from having the hedge of God around him to being hedged in. What do I mean by him being hedged in? Well, in Job 3.23 it says, Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Job 19.8, He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness in my past. You know what that's called? Being hedged in. Job says, my way is fenced up. I cannot move forward. I have become hedged in to a season. In Job 33, 11, he says, He, God, puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Do you know what the result of being hedged in was? Job 9, 18 tells us, it says, He will not allow me to catch my breath but fills me with bitterness. Job goes from having the hedge of God around him, the blessing of God abounding in his life, to then being hedged in. And the result of him being hedged in is bitterness begins to fill his life. It's what the book of Job in Scripture calls the days of affliction. Part of the question in the life of Job and the book of Job is what happens when we go from having the hedge of God's blessing around us to be then hedged in and locked in to a season of affliction. Will we hold fast to God? Will we hold fast to the ways of God? Will we hold fast to our walk with God? We see... If you're not familiar with the book, Job held fast. When the days of affliction took hold of Job, Job held fast to his God. What a powerful thing for you and I to think about. Will we be a follower of Jesus? Will we be a person of God? 
that if the day's affliction show up in our life, we'll still hold fast to God. And Job 2 and verse 3 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Satan incites God against Job. God in his own words says that Job was an upright man. He was a blameless man. Blameless means that he was not just righteous and right standing with God, but he was walking in obedience to all God had ever taught him. That's what it means to be blameless. And Satan incites God against him. You know how he did it? Satan accused Job of only serving God because of the hedge of blessing that God had around him. Job says, sure. Sure Job is upright and blameless. Look at the blessing that you've put upon his life. Look at the heads that you surrounded him and his family with. Look at how you prospered his business. God says, okay, and he releases that hand of favor, that hedge of protection off Job, and he says, Satan, he's in now into your hand. Disaster strikes his family. Job's sons and daughters are killed. Disaster hits his business. His flocks and herds are killed. Others are stolen. But Job held fast to his God. And he held fast to his trust and integrity in God. So Satan returns and he slanders Job more. He says, hey, yeah, he's holding fast after you've touched his family, his children, his business, his possessions. But let me touch his actual body. Let his bones and flesh be touched and surely he will curse God. He'll curse you. God says, okay. And he removes his hedge, hand of favor off Job's body. And the text says Satan struck him with God's permission with painful boils. Then Job's own wife said, you still hold fast? Curse God and die. Job said, you speak as a foolish woman. I was thinking about doing an illustrated sermon today. I didn't get halfway through my sentence. I, I hadn't even transitioned. I, I started the conversation with Michelle about my ashy dry legs in the winter. They were crackling, they were on fire, I'm scratching. And I started talking to her about that, asking if, if hers was the same. And then I was transitioning, you know I'm thinking about preaching an illustrated sermon, Sunday. That's all I got out, she said, don't do it. 
I mean, it could have been like, you know, I'm going to give money away or something. I, mean, I didn't even, but she put two and two together. I, I was going to reenact being Job. I was going to sit here and show you what we as humans don't like to be humiliated before others, to expose our weaknesses and where we're attacked and things. Job's looking around his life, and on one hand, he's got a cemetery, and he's got the, the gravestones of his children, and he's got the graveyard of his flocks and the ashes of his business. He looks around, he's got a wife that is telling him to curse God and no longer hold fast to God and trust God and hold fast to his integrity. Job looks at his body, and from head to toe, it's filled with boils. And then it doesn't stop there. His closest friends hears about his days of affliction. They come to him for seven days. They sit and they look at Job and they say nothing and they cry. Sing the days of affliction. But then Job spoke and they couldn't handle it. And his friends began to accuse him of intentional, willful, and known sin in his life. That he, saying that he's denying that he has sinned. Job 15 and 12, here's what they say. They say, why does your heart carry you away? And what do your eyes wink at? That you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. What is man that he, is, he could be pure? And he who is born of a woman that he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in His saints and the heavens are not pure in His sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy who drinks iniquity like water. Job's friend said, there's no way these days of affliction have came upon your life and it's not because you've intentionally no longer held fast to God in His ways. You have sinned. Job's friends didn't understand how one could be righteous with God. In Job 27, 4, 6, Job responds and he, to his friends, he says, My lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say, You are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness, I hold fast. Someone say, hold fast. And will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. Watch this. Since God was Job's righteousness, for him to not hold fast to his righteousness would be him not holding fast to his God. See, Job was righteous because God was his righteousness. You say, what is righteousness? Right standing with God. And for Job to let go of saying that he was righteous would be let go of the fact that he has trust God to make him righteous with himself. In Job 6, 29, it says, Yield now, let there be no injustice. He tells his friends, Concede, my righteousness still stands. In Job 19, 25 and 26, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Job says, hey, 
My righteousness still stands because my Redeemer lives. And because my Redeemer lives, He is my righteousness. And as long as He lives, then I am righteous with Him because He is my righteousness with Him. And Job says, I know that after I die, I again will be raised and I will live because He lives. And in my flesh, in my body, I will see God. Here's what we see. We see Job held fast in the good and Job held fast in the adversary, the bad. Job didn't allow the days of adversity cause him to let go from his trust that God has provided right standing for Job with him. He didn't allow the outward things he was experiencing and everywhere he looked around to dictate his trust in his heart. That's why in Job 2.10 he said to his wife, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, this is what the text says, Job did not sin with his lips. Notice here, Job goes from being hedged around with the blessing and the hand of favor to then hedged in to days of affliction. Did you know what fasting is also called in Scripture? Afflicting one's soul. Here Job is hedged in to a season of affliction. His soul is being afflicted. Emotionally, mentally, because what he's going through physically, what's happened in his family, in his business, what's happening in his marriage, everywhere he looks around, his soul is afflicted. But fasting is also called afflicting your soul. Why would I want to afflict my soul? Maybe to humble myself before the mighty hand of God and ask Him to mold me into a person that will hold fast to Him even in the days of adversity, not just in the good days. Maybe I would choose willingly to fast and afflict my soul and say, God, mold me into one that trusts you and won't let go of you, and will hold fast to you, not just when I see your hand of favor in my life, but also when I'm hedged in the days of adversity. Not just in the days of blessing. Joel prays two things I want to highlight. The first is, he says, do not withdraw your hand from me forever. Job understands that the hand of favor has been removed and he's been hedged into a day of affliction, but he cries out and he prays. One thing he says is, Oh God, but do not forever withdraw your hand from me. The second thing he prays is, Do not let the dread of you make me afraid. What's he saying? See, Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But this fear is what Job is praying here. It's a reverence that He is God in the very breath that you have in this moment, the very heartbeat that you just experienced is God's breath in you. God gives you and I life. 
That's why the scripture when it talks about how sin has affected you and I, it talks about the pride of life. Of moving away from the reality that the breath you and I just took, that's God's breath. And the awareness of that's a scary thing. But Job says, don't let the reality that the breath I have is your breath and in any moment you can take it back. Don't allow that to cause me to be afraid of you. But let the reverence that you're God and I'm not, not make me afraid, but that I would draw near to you. Biblical reverence is not a a type of being afraid where we run from God. Biblical reverence and acknowledging that He is Creator, that He is our breath, that He is our God, and we're not to run to God. And that's what Job prays. He prays for two things. He says, hey, ultimately, do not withdraw your hand of favor from me forever, and do not let the reverence, the dread that you're God and I'm not, make me afraid of you. Push me away from you. So Job prays two things that are highlight, but then Job desires that there were two things to help him in his days of affliction. The first thing that Job desires that was there to help him in his day of affliction was a mediator. Someone say a mediator. In Job 9 and 33 he says, Nor is there any mediator between us, between God and Him, who may lay His hand on us both. Job said, there's no mediator that can put their hand on God and me at the same time. There's no one that is equal with God and man at the same time. Secondly, Job desires that in his days of affliction that there was a book to help him. In Job 31, 35, and 36, it says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and I'd bind it on me like a crown. In Job 19, 23, and 24, he says it again. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Watch this. God in the person of Jesus took on eyes of flesh and saw as a man sees. God in the person of Jesus provided a mediator that could put his hand both on God, not consider it wrong, robbery to be equal with God, and put his hand on man and be also equal with man. But you know what else God did? Is the book of Scripture inspired by God is said to be alive like the eyes of God. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. God has now provided you and I what Job desired in his days of affliction. What do we learn from this? If fasting is afflicting our soul, and if Job was hedged in to a season of affliction, and Job desired two things, what we learn is when we afflict our soul, we should remember those two things. Jesus, the mediator that God has provided. We should seek Him and the Scriptures which God has provided. We should eat them. We should read them because they're said to be alive like the eyes of God. So listen, the mediator was sent by God, Jesus. The book was provided by God, the Bible. 
But here's where we begin to turn the corner. Begin to head to what this whole thing today message is about. The mediator Jesus, though you're unable to see with the eyes of your flesh. Yes, God has provided a mediator. Yes, God has provided the God-man, Jesus. But you're unable to see the mediator in the days of affliction, in the days when you afflict your soul with fasting. You're unable to see the mediator, Jesus, with your own eyes. Why? Because He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So though the mediator's been provided that Job desired would be in the time of his affliction, we still are like Job in a way. When we afflict our soul, when we go through the days of affliction, because we with our own physical eyes can't see Jesus. I've never had one of you wonderful people in here come to me and say, Pastor, I have shook the hand of Jesus. When I responded to God's call through the message of Jesus Christ and I came to the gospel, to the altar and gave my life and surrendered and repented and put trust in Him that Jesus was right there and He shook my hand and said, Welcome to my church and to dwelling place, the local church. Never one has ever said that. Because He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You say, oh, oh, but the book, the Bible... I can see it with my eyes of flesh. But the truth is, friend, you can't really see it with the eyes of flesh. Jesus said you can see and not really see. Jesus looked around at the religious of His day. Not those that were just living for themselves. Those that were supposedly seeking God and representing God and those that were supposedly hungry for God. And Jesus looked around at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the majority of the nation of Israel and said, you have eyes but you cannot see. He said that the people that has memorized more Scripture than all of you and I combined. A religious leader memorized a Whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's probably more than all of us have memorized combined. We like the short verses, remember, at the beginning? And yet Jesus looks at them and says, You have eyes that see, but you cannot see. He says, You're the blind leading the blind. Listen to me. Though you and I live in a time where the thing Job desired in his days of affliction, God has sent and provided. God has sent and provided a mediator. God has sent and provided a book. We still need a helper. You and I still need a helper. This brings us to the issue of the eyes of fasting. In Job 10, 4, in our verse, main verse, it says, Do you, God, have eyes of flesh, or do you see as man sees? Multiple verses in Job talks about the eyes of God. It says in Job 28, 24, For he, God, looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens. 
Job 34, 21, For God's eyes are on the ways of man and He sees all His steps. Listen to me. When it comes first to the eyes of fasting and the eyes of God, number one, God has eyes that never get tired. Though God doesn't have eyes of flesh, whatever eyes God has, they're eyes that never get tired. He always sees. He neither slumbered nor sleeps. He always observes. Secondly, God has eyes that nothing goes unnoticed. God sees everything, everywhere, at all times. When it comes to the eyes of fasting and the eyes of God, God has eyes, listen, that direct His hands. Did you know that? God's eyes directs His hands. Jesus, when Pastor Craig mentioned, when He began to declare the culture of His followers and His kingdom and His community of disciples. In Matthew 6 on the Sermon of the Mount, He said, when you pray and when you give, and then He said, when you fast, do what? Go in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will what? Will reward you openly. What's it saying? God's eyes sees in the secret. And God's eyes then directs His hands to reward us openly. These are the eyes of God. But there's also the eyes of flesh. You and I have eyes of flesh. You and I are vulnerable to not just have physical eyes of flesh, but to live with another type of eyes of flesh. Listen to me. Sometimes what we see in the book of Job can help us understand that sometimes when you do not want to see anything around you, then you're hungry to see Him who is invisible. That's what we see in Job. That sometimes when you look around and you see the gravestones of your children and you see the graveyard of your business and your animals and you see a wife that's telling you to curse God and die and you look around and see friends that are slandering and wrongly accusing you that when you look around your life and there's nothing you want to see in then sometimes it gives you a hunger and a desire to want to see Him who is invisible. And you'll add fasting to your prayer. You'll add fasting to your giving. You'll add fasting to the demonstration of your trust in God. When it comes to the eyes of flesh, we have to realize eyes of flesh deal with circumstances. When you and I live a life with eyes of flesh, we are vulnerable to allow the circumstances around us to dictate our life, to dictate our trust to dictate how we think about God, whether we'll trust God, whether we think God is good, or God cares, or God sees. And Job understands in Job 17, 7, he says, My eye has also grown dim because of sorrow, and all my members are like shadows. Then Job 17.2, listen to this one. He says, are not mockers with me? Talking about his friends. And does not my eye dwell on their provocation? When it comes to the eyes of fasting and the eyes of flesh, it also deals with how you and I are vulnerable to focus on the wrongs that have done to us. God, do you have eyes of flesh? The answer is no. 
God's not a God that focuses on the wrongs that's been done to Him. While yet we were sinners, Christ was sin and died for you and I. God's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. But you and I, because we have eyes of flesh, because you and I on our own are not like God who doesn't have eyes of flesh, we're vulnerable with eyes of flesh to focus on the wrongs done to us. This is where Job's being tempted. He's being tempted to keep looking at the wrongs that his friends are constantly doing to him in his days of affliction, in the days where he needs to be comforted, in the days where he needs to be strengthened. Listen, if you are hungry to see the invisible God, you will fast that what is visible. When you get hungry to see the invisible God then you will fast what is visible. You'll fast food. See, that's what fasting is. People say, I'm going to fast TV and social media. Well, no you're not. Because that's called abstinence. And it's okay, that's a great thing. Abstinence is a healthy spiritual discipline. But abstinence is not fasting. Fasting means to abstain for food and drink, or food or drink, to draw near to God. That's what fasting is. He'll say, well, I'm just going to do the Daniel fast. Well, if you want to be like Daniel, that's fine. But I'm called to be like Jesus. So at some point in life, I'm going to have to do more than a Daniel fast. I'm going to have to do a Jesus fast. And you know what a Jesus fast is? When He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, He did not eat. And we don't like that. Because we have eyes of flesh. And eyes of flesh wants to shortcut things. Listen to me. If Jesus couldn't fulfill His calling in obedience to the Father without fasting, then who do you and I think we are that we're going to be able to reach our high calling that the Father has without fasting? When it comes to the eyes of fasting and when it comes... To the eyes of fasting, we also have the eyes of fleshly knowledge. What does that mean? Listen, Job's friends, if you read their discourse, they had some amazing knowledge regarding God and His ways. Some amazing knowledge of His creation, of the animal kingdom, of the ways of weather. And yet... They still could not see God nor Job correctly. You know why? Because they had eyes of flesh. Listen to me. Eyes of flesh speaks to also fleshly knowledge. Meaning you can have knowledge and truth and knowledge of God's ways, but right knowledge, wrongly applied, still equals death. It's the tree of the knowledge of evil and what? And good. But it ain't life. It ain't substance. It ain't a power from on high. It ain't a bread from heaven. Job replied to them in Job 13, 1. He said, Behold, my eye has seen all this. This was his response to their fleshly knowledge that their eyes of flesh, his friends had seen. He said to them, Behold, my eye has seen all of this. I've seen the animal kingdom. 
I've seen the circuit of the sun. I've seen the expanse of God's beauty and, and stars that He's created. I've behold the wonders of His weather patterns and the patterns of the wind. I've seen this same type of knowledge with my own eyes. My ear has heard and understood it. But what you know, I also know, I'm not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty. And I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. See, listen, the eyes of flesh speaks also to this fleshly knowledge of being able to obtain knowledge through observation. That's what the friends had. But Job says, listen, I can do that as well. I can put things under the microscope and observe. I can sit and, and watch the eclipses and the sun. I can look at the things that happen and obtain the same knowledge as you, friends. See, fleshly wisdom, human wisdom, is observational knowledge plus thinking and meditating on it. And Job's saying, hey, any human can attain that. Any human can obtain what the eyes of the flesh can acquire and see. And that's why in Proverbs 13, 12, you know what he says? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Now listen to me. This isn't for anyone here, but this could be for some of you watching. There's peers of mine and peers of Pastor Craig in this nation. And that's what their pulpit ministry is. It's platitudes and it's proverbs of ashes. You know why? Because they preach what others preach but without the revelation of those who preach it. They get their messages from listening to other ministers. You say, how can you say that, Pastor? Because I don't listen to other ministers other than my pastor here. Why? Least others think or accuse that my relationship and what God wants to say to us as a people is me stealing or taking what He's saying through others to other people to us. Because there's no power and substance in that. And that's not even bringing up how they do it without giving credit of where they've taken other people's sermons and stuff and acted like it was theirs. So what do we do? I've already started my fast, Pastor, and I'm not feeling real good, and now you're making me feel really bad. My God. Is Whataburger open? Do you see what Job felt when he was hedged in? Everywhere he looked, he said, man, things ain't good. Everywhere we look with our own eyes of flesh, everywhere we look and we see what humanity on their own can do, there's no life and power there. Listen, when it comes to the eyes of fasting, this brings in, lastly, revelational knowledge. Revelational knowledge. And revelational knowledge is a type of knowledge that can only be experienced and acquired as we relate 
to our God through Jesus Christ, but commune with the Holy Spirit. In Job 42, 5 and 6, this is where it all concludes to. Job went from being hedged around with the blessing of God to then hedged in to the days of adversity. But it leads to this point, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now, someone say, but now. But now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Here we see Job has an encounter with God. With the invisible God. Job has an encounter that you and I can't have depending on our eyes of flesh because God doesn't have eyes of flesh like you and I. For God is a spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Job gets a rhema from God. Job gets finally God's spoken word to him in the moment. The whole time when Job was hedged in, God was silent. And that's why Job would hold fast to his God and hold fast to his integrity. Because he said, surely if I willful sin and offended my God, surely he would speak and tell me. But my heart is clean, my conscience is clean. God is not saying that these things happen because I have deliberately disobeyed Him. And finally God comes and He encounters God. He sees with a type of eyes that are different than the fleshly eyes you and I have as humans. It's like when Isaiah saw the Lord, he was undone. The question you and I then have in conclusion is, how do you and I, as humans with eyes of flesh, see the invisible God who does not have eyes of flesh? Remember, God is spirit. You say, well, Jesus reveals the Father. Yes, He does. But Jesus is now in heaven and we're still on earth. You say, but we have His Word. Yes, but having eyes we can still see and read and yet not see Him in His Word clearly. Or why is there so many denominations? Or why is there so many opinions? Why is there so much strife and fighting and divisions? Because that's eyes of flesh and the results of eyes of flesh. Listen to me. If God is Spirit, it requires the work of God's Spirit for you and I to truly see Him. That's why Jesus said, unless the Father draws by the Spirit, no one can come. Because God is Spirit and it requires the work of God's Spirit for you and I to truly see. Listen, flesh sees flesh. Physical eyes see physical circumstances. Physical eyes see physical matters. But Spirit sees Spirit. And Scripture says that your spirit, soul, and body and your spirit, your inner person, your inner man has eyes. 
There's a story I want to tell real quick in 2 Kings 4.32. It's about the prophet Elijah. Elijah comes into a house, widow's house, and a child was dead, lying on his bed dead. He goes in, he shuts the door. Now listen to the language, same type of language when it comes to prayer and fasting and what we're talking He shuts the door behind the two of them and he prayed to the Lord and he went up and he lay on the child. Watch this. He put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and he stretched himself out on the child. Caleb, you want to demonstrate? You want us to do this on your birthday? Happy birthday, by the way, son. Here he is, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, laying, stretched out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Boy, this is a picture of how you go from dead religion and just knowledge about God and the things of God in nature that anybody through eyes of flesh can observe to the warmness of the fire of God's Spirit in your heart. See, the Old Testament prophet's not like the New Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophet was like Jesus basically on the earth, like God on the earth. Meaning, they represented God completely. If they ever said anything wrong, they were a false prophet and were to be killed. New Testament prophecy has to be judged. Because God no longer speaks in the various ways He spoke through prophets, but in the last days has spoken through His Son. That's Hebrews 1. Okay, So when you look at prophetic ministry in the Old Testament, you've got to remember that it's... teaching something about a substance that we now have in Christ. And here's what it's saying. Notice the prophet who represents God had to lay completely eye upon eye, mouth upon mouth, the child for him to come alive. This is a picture of how you and I, in order to see, to truly see, it takes God's Spirit in union with our spirit It takes God's Word in union with our mouth to get revelation, true understanding. So listen, encounters with the Lord who is the Holy Spirit is how you and I truly see Him. Do you know what Paul, who is very learned, do you know what he appealed to? When all his accusers said, how do we know you're, you truly know God? How do we know you truly understand Scripture? How do we know you truly follow Him? You know what he appealed to? His encounters. His intimacy with the Lord. Why would Paul do that? Because he's letting you and I know that God the Father and we His children, He wants to encounter us. He don't want you just to have eyes of flesh and know things about God that you can observe in Scripture and observe in the world. He wants you in union, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, in union, spirit to spirit, where you get revelational knowledge of who He is, what He's done, what He has for you. The second way that you and I begin to see as a human the invisible God is the prophetic seasons of the Lord. This is what we see in Job. How did Job go from having some knowledge of God and hearing things of God to then saying, but now I see Him. The invisible God through the prophetic season. 
you and I learn and encounter God through prophetic seasons. In the prophetic seasons, you begin to get revelational knowledge of who God is, of what He's like. You have an experience with God. You're not just talking about someone you've heard and someone you've read about. You're talking about someone that you've encountered through prophetic seasons where He was doing a now work in your life. Listen to me, there is no biblical Christianity without revelation knowledge. How did Peter know that he was the Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, through revelation and knowledge? How did Jesus say, I'll build my church in order that the gates of hell will not prevail? Through revelation and knowledge. He said, it's on the revelation of who I am that I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know why? Because revelational knowledge is not something that can be obtained in physical matter. It's the substance of God's Spirit doing a work in the hearts of people. Come on, Kobe. In Job 7.3, Job says, See, I have been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. But it's in those appointed seasons, those prophetic seasons where he's hedged in, that leads to this encounter where now he encounters the living God. He sees something that he never would have known intimately about God or with God. His friends didn't understand prophetic seasons. Listen, his friends was the old mindset, old covenant thinking that all good comes from God and if good's happening in your life, it's because you're obeying God and He's blessing you. But if bad happens in your life, it's because you're disobeying God and God's cursing you. His friends had no understanding of prophetic seasons. Of how there are seasons where God hedges you in because He wants you to have an encounter with Him. He wants you to realize that your eyes of flesh can't get you to what He's called you to. That you get a hunger and a thirst beyond the natural food, but a hunger and thirst for the things of the Spirit. Where you prioritize the Spirit over the natural. Do you know what it looks like when you prioritize the spiritual over the natural? You push away the natural food in order to hunger and thirst for the spiritual food that God sent from heaven, the bread from heaven. Jesus Christ, that though He's in heaven, that through the Holy Spirit we can taste and see that the Lord is still good. That we can taste and see that He's provided a helper with us. That He never leaves us nor forsakes us. It's not a platitude, it's the substance that now I I sense, though I'm in a day of affliction, that God is with me. God is near. God is here. See, his friends told him in Job 8, 5, 7, If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now He would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Hey friends! Hey friends! That's exactly what God did for Job! You just didn't know prophetic seasons. Because Job 42.12 says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And God gave him twice as much as he had in the beginning. It's in these prophetic seasons, friend, where you and I encounter God, where we get the true weight and substance of His life. 
revelation knowledge truly of who God is so we don't just talk about God from head knowledge. We talk about Him who we have known. In 1 John 2, when John says what spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers are, he lists one characteristic of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. He says they have known Him who is from the beginning. They don't know a lot of things about God. They don't know a a lot of things. That's not their focus. They know Him. They know Him. They have seen Him who's invisible. And they've seen Him not with physical eyes. They've seen Him through prophetic encounters with God. Through rhema words of God. Job 23.12, He says, I have not departed from the commandment of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than necessary food. Come on, band, listen to me. Fasting is turning away from the physical and turning to God who is spiritual. Fasting is turning away from the physical and turning to God who is spiritual. This is the eyes of fasting. Watch, we deal with the eyes of our flesh. The eyes of flesh represents the eyes of our lust, the eyes of worldliness, the eyes of sinful desires. Fasting is where we deal with the eyes of our flesh, where we push away. The lust of our eyes and the lust of our flesh and the pride of life and worldliness. Because Job said in Job 31.7, If my step has turned from thy way, God, or watch this, my heart walked after my eyes. There's times where you and I, our heart walks after our eyes. We see it in the world, we want it. We lust after it. We covet after it. We say we got to have it to be content, to be successful, to be known, to be praised. And it's in the fasting that we push away and say, God, deal with the eyes of my flesh that I might encounter you who is invisible. Give me the eyes of fasting that I can see you. That I might encounter you because, Lord, with my natural eyes, I can't do it. Lord, even through the book you've inspired, I can't through my own eyes see you in this rightly. Fasting is turning our eyes to an intense season of prayer. Fasting is closing our natural eyes for the Lord to enlighten the eyes of our heart. This is what Paul prayed for every believer, for every church, because Paul understood Paul was the very thing we're talking about. Paul was the friend of Job. Paul was the one memorized Scripture, and he's persecuting the true way. And Paul in Ephesians 1 said, Oh, may the God of glory give you and I the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Spiritual eyes that see a God of spirit. That we would know the hope of our calling. What is the greatness of His power towards us who believes. In Colossians 1, He says, Unless you get filled with this spiritual revelation from God, there's not a chance you'll walk worthy of Him. You'll turn Scripture into platitudes. You'll see and seeing having not seen. Ephesians 3, when Paul says that our heart would be filled with the love of God, he says the love of God surpasses knowledge. How are you and I going to get something that surpasses knowledge? Only by encountering God. Only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
only through the prophetic seasons and the prophetic word of God's mouth to our mouth and His heart to our heart, to His eyes to our eyes. Listen, fasting is choosing to afflict our soul and receive bread from heaven that strengthens us to hold fast to God. I don't know about you, but... The Bible says in the last days, people will depart from the faith that's happening right now. Denominations ain't denominations in Christendom anymore. They're apostasy. They're apostasy just like Scripture. That a massive departure from apostolic, biblical, true Christianity faith is right here, right now, right before our eyes. I'm no better than those people that have apostatized. I need the strength of God to hold fast. And so do you. So what do you do? You say, God, I need your strength more than the strength necessary food will give me. So I'll push away the plate. I'll push away the food to seek to get a strength that only you can provide. Fasting is emptying out the natural desires to receive the spiritual desires of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the more your heart has walked after the eyes of flesh, the more intense the warfare will be with you when you fast. Because before God can pour in His desires, He's got to get you to acknowledge, repent, and let go of the wrong desires that your eyes of flesh have walked after and have been formed in your heart. Fasting is pushing away the physical to draw close to the spiritual things of God. Listen, we are not just seeking to hold fast to our diet, but to hold fast to our God. Jacob held fast to God in the struggle and it marked his walk all the days of his life. I want to lastly leave you with these questions that threw him the anointing of God. The anointing of God upon my life because this is not something I know. This is something I live. This is something I experience. My pastors that God prepped me under, they all fasted. The anointing on them to fast. The anointing on me to fast. Live a fasting life. There's an anointing that can come upon you to fast upon this church. In Jesus' name. And I want to leave you with these, scripture, these questions. Do you need spiritual eyes from God in the day of affliction? Then fast. Do you need spiritual eyes from God in the day of deciding a spouse? Then fast. Do you need spiritual eyes from God in the days of choosing a career path? Then fast. Do you need spiritual strength for your life more than physical strength? Then fast. Do you hunger and thirst to truly encounter God? Then fast. Do you need cleansing and deliverance from lustful, worldly, temporal eyes? Then fast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.